You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, hey, good morning. It is, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I, uh, I was away the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, last week, of course, we, we met at Redemption South, uh, either online or, or, uh, or you're, some of you were able to attend down there, and so uh, thankful for that. And I um, just want to give a special welcome to those who are joining online this morning, and just a, a reminder for those of this is your church, you can register your attendance online just on the, the Church Center app. And uh, if you're new to uh, our church, we'd love to... Uh, know that you are watching online as well, and uh, uh, if you have any questions uh, about our church, you can just go to admin at redemptioncalgarynorth.ca. So, um, really uh, excited, as I said, to be back. Um, the text that we're in, we're going back into Romans. A uh, little bit of selfishness going on. Um, the fact that we didn't continue in Romans the last couple of weeks, uh, there's, as it turned out, it worked out. Anyways, but uh, uh, this text that we're looking at, let me just read what a couple of different guys have said. Lloyd-Jones said this about the text. It is a foolish thing to say, perhaps, but I was going going to say that if I were asked which, in my opinion, is the most important and crucial crucial passage in the whole of Scripture, I would have to include Romans 3, 21 to 31. And those are the verses that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. Dr. Leon Morris suggests that this may be the, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. You know, so anticipation should be high as we study this morning uh, for what we're about to see. I want to remind us of where we have been as we've been studying the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 3.20, uh, Paul has been making it very clear that left to ourselves, there is no way that you and I could be made right with God. As he kind of gave his final verdict in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3, we first saw that our sinful, inclina- our sinful inclina- inclination as people, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, we are all cli- inclined to sin. Uh, there is no one who does good, not even one. We turn away from God and his ways. We don't want anything to do with him. So, so far from him are we, are we that we are servants and slaves to sin, loving darkness rather than light. This is all our story here this morning. This is, this is, what, is said, what is said here is true of every single human being on this earth today. When it comes to our relationships with one another, our evilness in our hearts is, is seen in the way that we speak with one another, words of hurt, cursing, and deceit. And from the earliest days since sin came into the world, we have been at war with one another, speaking words of hate, consumed by envy and jealousy and prone to violence. The result are paths of ruin and misery and a heart that hates God and does not fear him. And as Paul came to the conclusion of uh, Romans 3, 9 through 20, he says in verse 19 that it is not just a few bad people who are like this, but rather this is the sinful condition of all mankind. So 
as you come to the conclusion of that, you, you, sh- you need to understand that what Paul is saying is that no matter how much you strive to make things right with God, you cannot. You will never be a good enough person. You can never do enough good works to make things right with God. There is nothing you can do to make up for the wrong that you have done. And every single one of us, when we hear that, there ought to be a weight to those words. You ought to feel that. You ought to understand that that is true of every single human being. There's nothing you can do to make things right with God. Now, I'm praying this morning that you understand what we're about to read in Romans 3, 21 to 26, that you understand those first two words, but now, that that was the case for every single human being, that there was no way that we could be made right with God, but now. But I also want to recognize that there are some maybe here this morning who are not right with God still. You're still holding on to your self-righteousness. You still think that if you just are a good person, that you can get into heaven. I'm going to plead with you this morning to listen to what God has done to make a way for you to go to heaven. It is not through your own self-righteousness. It is only through Jesus Christ. And if you do not have Christ this morning, you do not stand as a friend of God. You stand as an enemy of God at this moment of time. And so we're going to turn to Romans 3. Oh, maybe you've already done that this morning. Romans 3. 21 to 26. We're going to read this. They're going to pray and then we're going to get into it. But Romans 3, 21 to 26, show us how it is that we can be saved, how we can be made right with God. This is the only way that we can be made right with God. I know that's not politically correct to say. I know that is not a popular thing to say, but it is what the Bible says. And as the people of God, we are under the authority of what the scriptures say. And so we believe it this morning. I pray that every one of you here is like, amen, we believe it. The word of God is true and we believe it. And we believe that what we're about to read is true as well. And it says this, Romans 3, 21 to 26, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. We do not take this gathering for granted. Or what a privilege it is to gather together as your people. Lord, it was your good will that we do this. 
and that we do it, the gathering together of your people, all the more as we see the day approaching. God, we can see that day. It's coming when you will return. We cannot wait for your return. But in the meantime, Lord, we know this, that you reign over all the earth, that you alone are Lord, you alone are God. And God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word this morning. Lord, we don't have to guess what you think about things. Lord, you have told us and you have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would help us to be better worshipers. That God, the words that we are studying today, Lord, would just grip our hearts and that would bring joy and hope to all who hear this morning. And God, we pray that if anyone this morning is yet an enemy of you, God, would you change that today by your grace. Lord, lead this preacher so that the words that are spoken are not his words, but your words. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we ready? The best paragraph ever written. Are you ready to like just dig into this a little bit? We don't have enough time to really study it, but we're going to do the best we can, right? Like if we could, we could, we could just spend like weeks studying these things, but we might lose a little bit of what he's trying to say here in a brief amount of time. So while we were helpless to do anything about our situation, God did something. God has made a way for us to be made right with him. And so as we look at the text today, we're going to see four truths that lead to being made right with God. The first is this, the righteousness of God revealed. We see this in verse 21. But now. Like there has been never two better words together, right? Like Lloyd-Jones, I, I don't know, he probably preached like 20 sermons on these two words. I think it was like more like two, maybe two or three. But he preached like two or three sermons on those two words. Why? Because of the significance of this, these two words, that, that when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when they, there was nothing that we could do to make things right. Have you been, have you experienced that in, in a personal relationship with someone? Someone you loved, you hurt them deeply? You, you ever done that? And you know there is nothing you can do to make it right. Isn't that a hopeless feeling? Like where you're just like, I know, there's, I, I wish if I could go back and I could change that, I would, but I can't. And now, and now I'm just in this situation where I am, uh, it's up to the other person. And that is where we were at with God. There was nothing that we could do to be right, right with him. It, it was up to God to do something and praise God he did something. And we read here that the righteousness of God has now been manifested apart from the law. It has now been revealed what is the righteousness of God? It's the act of doing. This word for righteousness is the act of doing what God requires. And if you'll remember our study back in chapter 1, we, we found in, in verse 16 that, that Paul is highlighting what he's about to talk about for the entire book, that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto righteousness both to the Jew and also to the Greek. And then he said in verse 17, 
for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So once again, he's saying, he's bringing us right back to that point, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been revealed. This idea here of God's righteousness, this, this phrase we're gonna see, we've seen over and over again in these six verses, it, it is it's that, Mu puts it like this, with, Luth, with Luther, we stress that what is meant is a status before God, not internal moral transformation, but this is God's activity of making right. It's his way of acquitting. It is, it is the way in which God has made it possible that we might be made right with him. I don't know about you, but if you've just been going through those verses from 118, 118 through 320, you're like, okay, yeah, what is it? What it has been done that I might be made right with him? The original audience, when they heard this Greek word, they would have seen that it was in the perfect tense. Any time a word is in the perfect tense, it means that there's an event that's happened and its effects are ongoing. And so even in this, they're understanding that there's an historical event that has taken place that has changed our ability to be made right with God. Are you, are you getting kind of excited about what that might be? Right? What is the event? What, what happened that all of a sudden there was now a way that I might be made right with him? Well, Paul says, first of all, it was apart from the law. And really what he's saying by that is, is apart from you being able to fulfill the law. It's apart from your works. A Shriner puts it like, like this. It is the, is the fact that the Mosaic Covenant belonged to an era of redemptive history that is now passing away. It's passing away is inextricably bound up with its ability to affect righteousness. All that the law could do was show us that we are sinners. It could not save us. But now there is a new way. And Paul is quick to point out, oh, by the way, this is not like God throwing away the Old Testament. What he's doing is now fulfilling what the Old Testament has been pointing to all along in both the prophets and the law. It's his way of saying in the, all of the Old Testament. And for example, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 always encourage you guys, write things down. If you haven't got your journal yet for this year, you know, the gift, like get it, get it written, you know, write things down. It helps you to learn. It helps you to grow in your faith. That's why we're gathering together. We want to grow together. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the, the, sorry, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to, be, least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This that was prophesied in the past is now being revealed through Jesus Christ. 
Why was this righteousness necessary? Why is it required? This is our second point. The righteousness of God required. Verses 22 and 23. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First we see that the righteousness of God does not come through man's works. We need to hear that this morning. We are so quick to think that somehow we can do something to be made right with God. The text, once again, is making clear the summation of what he's been saying all along. You cannot be made right with God through your works, but it is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. For there is no distinction. What does that mean? There is no difference between one man and one woman in all of the earth. It doesn't matter where you're from on planet earth. We're all in the same boat. Whether you were born in Canada or Zimbabwe or Russia, no matter where you were born, no matter what your economic status is, we are all in the same boat. And what is that boat is that we have all sinned. To sin, the word that's used here, is to act contrary to the will and law of God. It's to engage in wrongdoing. It's to miss the mark of what God has called us to. Every single person on this earth has sinned against God. The only exemption to that is Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But every single one of us are guilty before him of sinning. True, some sin more than others, but we're all guilty. One person illustrated, if you're trying to reach the stars, whether you're in a valley or on the top of the mountain, you're still a long ways away. And so is the case for every single man and woman on this earth. We have all sinned. And then it says this, and fall short of the glory of God. Again, grammar is helpful here. All sinned, past tense, that is true of every single person. And then fall short, it's in the present tense, which means that we continually are falling short of the glory of God. Well, what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? We go back to Genesis 1. We find out that every person was created in the image of God. We are created so that we would represent him, that we would live in the likeness of him. And yet every single one of us have fallen short of that and continually fall short of that. Moose says this, the absence of glory involves a declension from the image of God in which human beings were first made. The future glory may be regarded as the restoration of the lost original glory. There is going to come a day when we're going to get back to that, when we see him and God makes us, gives us our glorified bodies. Paul then is indicating that all people fail to exhibit being like God for which they were created. We all fall short. Instead of representing him and following his ways, we want to be him. Right? You have that original temptation. Just eat the fruit and you will be like God. 
not following him, being Christ-like in, 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 our, in our church understanding, but instead, me being in charge of my life. Well, while the sin is universal, we've also seen in these verses that salvation is also universal. That the opportunity for sin, or sorry, for salvation is universal. So how is that possible? How is it possible that we might be made right with God? What has taken place that you and I could be made right with him? Here we see the righteousness of God realized. The righteousness of God realized. Verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified by his grace as a gift. What does it mean to be justified. If you've been attending church for a while, you may have heard the term justification. What, what, what does that term mean? Like, do you ever stop and think about that? We, we kind of start throwing these terms around a lot, you know, like propitiation, which we're going to get into in just a moment, and redemption, and, and justification. Lots of shuns going on. But if somebody was like to kind of like corner you and say, like, can you tell me exactly what that means? Would you be able to? Well, hopefully by the end of this morning, you'll be able to. So if you get that pen out, right? But, but what does it mean? Well, there's been a lot of confusion about what that means. In fact, there needed to be a reformation as a result of what this means, right? The Catholic Church taught that it was like a lifelong process, justification, they, they, they took what should have been seen as sanctification and called it justification. That if you continued to work, if you tended, continued to do the right thing, that maybe you might be justified. But that is not the biblical understanding of justification. Well, it is, what is it then? Stott, here's helpful. Justification is a legal or forensic term belonging to the law courts. It's the opposite of condemnation. Both are pronouncements of a judge. So a judge will one day, every single one of us are going to stand before the judge, and the judge will either pronounce condemnation or justification. C.H. Hodge clarifies the difference between condemnation and justification. To condemn is not merely to punish but to declare the accused guilty or worthy of punishment. So not only are you found guilty, but you're seen to be uh, worthy of that punishment. Justification is not merely to remit that punishment, but to declare that punishment cannot be justly inflicted. Or, to put it another way, is a declaration that no ground for the infliction of punishment exists. Do you get what, do you get that, what he's saying here about justification? Like, that is one of those things, like, it should blow your mind. Maybe I, I should have said that in a better churchy way, but it's like, like, how do you, like, how do you, how do you grasp that? Okay, wait a minute, Paul, you've just been telling me and I'm like really convinced now because it's like you keep telling me the same thing. I am a sinner. I am guilty before God. But you're telling me 
that there is a way that I might be justified before him, which means not only does he say not guilty, but he looks at me, and as he opens my folder for the evidence against me, it's empty. Like there's no reason for me to be condemned. It's all gone. All the evidence has been removed. So how did that take place? Did God just like light my, my folder on fire? Did he just kind of ignore it? Like, you know what, Trevor? You're a pretty good guy. This is between you and me. I know what you did, but it's okay. Come on in. Come on into heaven. We're all good. A lot of people think that's how it works with God. Like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know. <laughs> Come on in. Well, what would that make God? A wicked judge. It would make him not God. It would make him not perfect. He would no longer be holy. He would be wrong. That's not how it happened. Before getting to how he did it, let's also notice that it wasn't because I was mainly a good person that he justified me. Justification comes about solely through the grace of God as a gift. The initiative for your salvation was not, did not begin with you. It begins and ends with God. It is through his grace that you have been saved through faith. There's nothing that we did to deserve his grace. It's just a gift. It's a gift from him and him alone. Humbling. Why me? Because he chose so. Justified by his grace as a gift. So how did it come about? How did this justification come about? How is, that, how is it even possible that this could be said of me? That this could be said of you? Well, first, it comes through redemption. Redemption sets sets us free from sin's power. We see in this verse, it says that it is through grace as a God, uh, sorry, through the grace of God as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. It means that we have been purchased. It means that we have been freed from under the enslavement of another. Much like the emancipation of slaves. In the Old Testament, that's what, you know, when, when a person, in a marketplace, they would, they would bring slaves to the marketplace and you could buy, you could redeem someone, someone's slave. Sometimes they could be bought out and then they could go and do whatever they wanted to do or they would be bought by another master and then you would become their possession. That's what happened to you and I. Well, I don't, you know, I, I'm looking around. I don't, I don't think any of you have been a slave on this earth in this, in this sense. Ha, ha, anyone here ever, ever been the property of someone else? Anyone here ever, ever been forced to work with no pay? No, no, no like that's not the story for us. 
So in what sense were we slaves? Who was our master? Sin. Sin was your master. And he was a destructive master. His power was over you, and you had no choice but to walk in obedience to sin. Who can set us free from that power? Only Jesus Christ. Romans 6, we're going to get into it. February, March, somewhere around there. We're going to get there, and we're going to see what God did in setting us free from our sin. But when he sets us free, we are not now free agents to do whatever we want to do. No, we have been bought by Jesus Christ. Well, what was the cost for your salvation? A couple hundred bucks? Be less than that. If it was, you know, if it was somebody buying me, like it would be less than that. But no, no, the cost was actually much higher than money. It was, as we see in just a few words later, that it was by his blood. Our redemption came about by his blood. This was the cost. Blood signifies death. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. It wasn't that way, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Once again, we see the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ as Jesus was referred to as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, when he seen Christ coming, he said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our redemption came through the blood of Christ. We'll be set free from sin's power. We've been set free from sin's power. Secondly, we see propitiation. Sheltered from sin's penalty. It says here that We've not only been redeemed, but God, it says, whom God put forward, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, we're going to spend a little bit more time on propitiation because Paul's not going to come back to this specific word again in the book of Romans. What is propitiation? We're going to spend a little bit more time on it, not only because Paul doesn't come back to it, but because this is a doctrine that's actually being attacked in the Canadian church. There's some people who do not believe that this word means what it means. They think it, it can't possibly be said of our God. Well, propitiation is Christ suffering God's wrath on behalf of the believer. It's from the Greek word Ixlamai, which means to atone through sacrifice. To appease through sacrifice. It is, it is God's wrath being satisfied through Jesus Christ. So the question is, why is God so angry? Why is there wrath needed? Well, the wrath of God exists because of his hatred of sin. Morris comments, there are more than 20 words used to express wrath. 
as it applies to Yahweh. These are so used so frequently there are over 800, 580 occurrences to be taken into consideration. God hates sin. It brings about his wrath. Some would suggest, well, that's the Old Testament God. He was really angry. We see him killing people. Like, he, that was, yeah, he was just an angry God. But not now. He's a God of love. And in fact, in some Canadian churches, that's why they're like staying away from this whole propitiation word. That, that they, they, there, there are some that teach that the only wrath that was on Jesus on the cross was our wrath. Because we were angry, because we were sinners, we put our wrath against God, or sorry, against Jesus Christ, and that was the only wrath that he suffered. I want to tell you that that is a doctrine that damns. That that is, that is, that is a heresy that, that will, will, if believed, will put you in hell. Why? Why am I making such a big deal of this? God's wrath is not just an Old Testament thing. The New Testament shows us that the wrath of God is still very much there. Jesus talked about the reality of hell. Talked a lot about it. Paul wrote that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, just in the last two chapters that we read in Romans 1 and 2. He also spoke about it uh, in, in Colossians and Ephesians. The entire book of Revelation also speaks of the wrath of God being unleashed against all wickedness. God is not complacent in regards to sin, and his wrath will be revealed against all sin. So if there is sin, his wrath is coming against it. Over the centuries, some have believed that this wrath, or sorry, this word propitiation was a reference to the mercy seat in the Old Testament. Actually, Calvin, Luther, they believed that there was, it was a reference to the mercy seat. On the day of the atonement, the blood would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And so they say, like, this is a parallel to that. But if you look at the, the, the word itself, if you look at the grammar, I think what it's really ultimately saying is that only through Christ is our, our, is, can the wrath of God be satisfied? The question this morning is, is whether Jesus has taken your wrath or whether you are waiting to take God's wrath for your sin. Now, some have misconstrued what this means. They see that, uh, sorry, first of all, we see who, who put Christ forward. You guys see that in the text? Whom God put forward, right? God put forward, put Jesus forward. So some people see this distinction. They're like, God was angry. Jesus is like, okay, I know you're angry. I'm a God of love. I'll take the wrath. Is that what's going on here? Was, like the, was, was, there, was there opposition within the Trinity? Or like, God's the angry one and Jesus is the nice one. That's not what happened, right? Jesus laid down his life willingly. And so the Trinity came forward with this perfect plan where both God's love and his wrath would be satisfied through the cross. 
Now, the idea of propitiation is different in the Bible than what we see in other religions, right? Like when I was in Africa, I would see people do things for their gods to try to appease them, to try to make them happy so that God would not be angry with them. Seen the same thing in Nepal. That, that, there's so, so some people say, well, that, that, that's not true of the God of the Bible. True, we can't do anything to appease God. But what God did instead was he sent his son to appease the wrath of God for sin. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to the, be the propitiation for our sins. So as darkness came over the land, as Jesus hung on that cross, as my sin, as your sin was placed upon him, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ he became the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied God's wrath for our sins because God's wrath will come against all sin. God did not do this in private. He did this in a very public way. This is the third thing we see, this demonstration. The demonstration that we have been spared from sin's payment. This was done for all the world to see. This was not done in secret. This was not done in obscurity. Even the timing of Christ's crucifixion was during Passover where there had been tons of visitors in the city who would then go out back to their homelands. There, there, there was, there, this was a very public display. And this word where it says that whom God put forward it highlights the public nature of what is being done. In fact, the New American Standard translates this, as, translates this like this, whom God displayed publicly. This draws attention to the cross, where Christ was publicly put on a cross for our redemption. God wants the whole world to know how one can be made right with himself. How mankind might be justified and be reconciled to God through this public display. As he says in the next verse, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he has passed over sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both just and the justifier. How does the propitiation show God's righteousness? Because in times past, it says that his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. Forbearance, his patience had passed over former sins. This is referring to the time before the cross. Luke wrote, Luke wrote in Acts that in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. That's Acts 14, 16. He also, called, he also calls it a time of, of ignorance that God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 17.30 It 
is not that God overlooked sin in the sense that he did not punish sin. However, his full wrath was not poured out upon man for his sin. Some may have questioned God's just, justice in regards to sin, and that he had not dealt as severely with sin as it deserved. But now he has, through the cross, his justice has been satisfied as Christ became the propitiatory sacrifice on the cross, tearing away his wrath. Paul writes that God's righteousness was not just demonstrated for the past, but also for the present time. It is because of this that mankind has hope to avert God's wrath today, and instead of receiving the death that we deserve, we can now receive life. God's justice was satisfied, as we see in Romans 3.26. He is both just and the justifier. For God to just say, don't worry about your sins, no big deal, as I already said, would make him evil, would make him wicked. There was only one way for us to be made right with him, and it is through Jesus Christ. He alone could make the sacrifice for us. He alone lived the perfect life for us to be the perfect Lamb of God that would, be, that would appease the wrath of God, that would redeem us out of our desperate situation. Cranfield put it like this, God, because in his mercy he willed to forgive sinful man, and being truly merciful, willed to forgive them righteously, that is, without any way condoning their sin, purposed to direct against his own very self in the person of his son the full weight of that righteous wrath which they deserved. When you understand the gospel, it is laughable to think that there is any other way that we might be saved. To think, well, you know, like, Islam people, like, they seem like, you know, they, 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 they seem like they're really sincere about their beliefs. You know, the Hindus, they really believe what they, you know, is it possible that they would be condemned? Yes. For sure they would be condemned. What, what can their ceremonies, what can their beliefs do to cover their wickedness? If there are other ways, our faith is the biggest joke of all. So why would God give his only son to die on our behalf if there were any other way to salvation? No, Christ alone can save. Christ alone can make us right with God. And so, because he is just, he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. You and I cannot take sin lightly. If you're in Christ today, and you kind of have the attitude like, eh, I can keep sinning. He's got it covered. I understand what this verse says. When he looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness. I guess I can just do whatever I want. What a wicked notion. We should never take sin lightly when we understand all that Christ has done, the great cost of our salvation, that the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, that his blood was shed for you and I. So how is it that I might have my sins forgiven? 
that I might be made right with God. Did God do this for the whole world? Are we all covered? Can we just go on and live as we want to live because he did this on the cross? Well, this brings us to our last point. The righteousness of God received. Note how verse 26 ends. Who is the one who is saved? He who is the one who is made right with God. It is by faith. Faith in Jesus. Verse 25, it said that our righteousness is to be received by faith. Verse 22, it says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is about faith. The next two weeks as we continue our study of Romans, we're going to see that it is about faith. It's always actually been about faith. Even in the Old Testament, it was about faith. Faith is strong confidence in and reliance upon someone or something. Belief is to trust in Jesus as contained in the content of the gospel. Is to put your full trust and your full confidence and your full belief in that what these verses say are true. That I am a sinner deserving condemnation. But now, Christ has redeemed me. Christ is my propitiation. Christ is my justification. And as I put my belief and trust in him, he has taken my sin and he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He has fully appeased God's wrath towards me and now I am no longer an enemy of him. I am now a child of God. How incredible is that? through nothing of our own, but by simply putting our faith and trust in him. I mean, why is it that not the whole world is saved right now? Like, you think about that. When, when you think about the, the hope that is offered through the good news of Jesus Christ, how is it that not everybody is saved? Well, it's because of how wicked you and I are. I don't need that. I don't need the cross. I'm good enough. My righteous deeds will get me in. I'm going to invent a new religion. We're going to live by that religion. And if we're, going to re- if we're really sincere, we're going, to, we're going to get into heaven. No, you will not. Our righteousness will never get us into heaven. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Turning back to Romans 3.25, we see the Greek literally says this, through faith in his blood. The New American Standard translates it that way. Faith in his blood. Faith in what he has done 2,000 years ago. That that event that took place satisfied all that was needed to make me right with God. So the question this morning is whether or not you have responded to his offer of salvation. Do you still cling to your own ability to be made right with God through your own self-righteous ways? Or have you understood that it is only through Jesus Christ that you can be made right with God? This morning, if you've never repented of your own self-righteous ways and sin, then God's wrath will come upon you just as it was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. But today, if you repent 
of your sin and place your faith and your trust in him, then you too may be justified, redeemed, have your sin propitiated. The incredible love of God. What an amazing hope for a world that is in desperate need of good news. Apparently there's this thing called COVID going around. I know you guys heard about it. But it's messing with a lot of people's minds right now. There are so many desperate people right now. Do you guys know that? Kids are on suicide watch. There are so many people committing suicide right now. Because they have no hope. They are hopeless. They, turn, they keep turning on the news for some good news. There is no good news. It's just been bad news and bad news and bad news. And so they're hopeless. Brothers and sisters, we have good news. I, I, I've, I've longed to just be back here in the pulpit again as we're going through all these things together. I got to keep preaching to myself because I'm a bit of a whiner and complainer and and God, praise him through his spirit, he keeps like knocking that down, saying, seriously? Like when we complain, who are you complaining to? Complaining to God. He's on the throne. Not Kenny, not Trudeau. He's on the throne. So let's not complain. Let's not grumble. Let's cling to this, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, you might not get your Christmas wish list this year. That might be a good thing. Can I, just, can I just pause you to stop and think about that just for a moment? That maybe this Christmas, for the first time, even, maybe even in your lifetime, you'll slow down enough to consider what Christmas is really all about. That it's about Jesus coming on this earth in flesh so that he might do this that he might be our redemption, our propitiation. Like when people look at us, they should see us going through this time so differently. Man, it seems like they still have hope. It seems like, you know, like they still have a smile on their face somehow. How is that possible? Because we have the good news. And so can we do this this Christmas? I get it. It's going to take a little bit of ingenuity. But can we give gifts this Christmas? And not just this, cookies and whatever. PS5s. Watching for the teenagers at home. Can we give people the greatest gift? And say, can, you, can I just tell you about the greatest gift? Romans 3 says that by His grace, I have received the gift of justification. And you too can receive the gift of justification if you believe that Jesus Christ came and died in your place, that he has redeemed your sins, that he has freed you from the power of sin, that he has in through, through the cross has taken the wrath of God that was due you and I and he has erased all your sins through his blood. 
we can tell as many people as possible that. Should we do that this Christmas? Because listen, people have ears to hear this Christmas, unlike maybe any other Christmas that we have seen in our lifetime. To God be the glory through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen? Let me pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for Jesus Christ. Lord, where would we be if not for Christ? All of us, all we could look forward to is for that moment when you, when we stood before you and you would declare that we are condemned. That's what we all deserve. Ultimately, that's all that we should be looking forward to. But that's not the case because Jesus Christ has come. We have been justified. We are justified at this moment. And someday you will make that clear for all the world to see as we stand before you. Lord, thank you for the great cost that you went through for us to be made right with you. Thank you that we are now children of God. Thank you that we have been reconciled to you. Thank you that today in the midst of uncertain circumstances, we can have hope and joy and peace because of Jesus Christ. What a gift that you have given us, both for now and for all eternity. Lord, help us to be bold for your name's sake. Help us to see the needs around us. Help us to, to reach out, whether it be through phone calls or, or, or emails or, or whatever the case might be. God, wherever opportunities you're bringing us away, give us eyes to see and help us to be bold with the gospel for your name's sake. For the world needs to hear this amazing good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.